Well, I love that song. I love that song. This message this morning is exactly about resurrection. Uh, but I got, I got to share a funny story with you quickly. This morning, uh, Wednesday, I, I was able to lead Bible study for our, our folks that join us on Wednesday. And uh, so we kind of had a, a question and answer time. And I said, you can ask me any question. You can ask me a question about God. You can ask me a question about the church, where we're headed, what we're doing. You can ask a question about me. I don't care. You can even ask a question about you, whatever you want. Somebody started off with politics. Whew, what a grand way to start. But then somebody leaned over and said to me, Pastor, do you, do you really expect for us to take notes on Sunday? And I said, well, my philosophy is this. Those who've come to learn have a pen in their hand and a paper in front of them. And then Larry, sorry Larry, I didn't mean to point you out this morning, but I turned over, Larry said, well pastor, you talk too fast. (laughs) He said, how do you expect me to keep up with you? I just can't keep up, you talk so fast. And I said, well the good news is this, is our messages are online and we have a podcast. We are in the 21st century, amazing, right? Some of you are like, what is a podcast? So glad you asked, I'm not going to tell you what it is right now, but if you have a smartphone... Uh, come see me after service, and we'll show you how to do it. We had a time of instruction Wednesday about how you can listen to our messages throughout the week while you're riding the train to work, while you're doing dishes. Whatever you're doing, you can listen. So it was, it was kind of funny. So this morning, uh, I made up my goal to talk slower, but I told Larry, the slower I talk, the longer I go. So you, you, you pick your poison this morning, whatever one you want. Would you pray with me this morning before we begin? As we dive into God's Word, Lord, we come before you this morning with humble hearts. May we open our our minds and our ears and our hearts to your Word. And will you be with us during this act of worship? Amen. Amen. Well, I know for many of you, it is hard to believe that things are not perfect at the pastor's house. I I know some of you can't believe that. uh, But the reality is, is that... We have a lot of problems. Um, One of the contentious areas in our marriage is my gift, my my God-given gift of slowness. Now, I truly get it from my mother. (laughs) My my little nephew, who was five at the time, said to my dad, he said, Papa, Nana's not built for speed, is she? (laughs) And uh, so it was funny. I I get it truly. I get it from my mom. But, But the problem is this, that that in our marriage, I'm often thinking about what needs to be done. I'm processing the very thing that needs to be done. But Janelle is always one step ahead of me. And so she's always telling me what to do while I'm thinking about the thing that needs to be done. And so I always feel like I'm a barrier and a hindrance to the things that she needs to accomplish. She's really like a cyclone. When she gets on the move, man, you better watch out. Things are going to get done. They're just Goals are going to get accomplished and wiped out. I'm more like an old... It just takes me a while to warm up, you know. But 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 I think about just an example. You know, I see the trash. In my mind, I know that the trash stinks. I can smell it. It's full. It needs to be tied up and taken out. And so as I'm processing this in my mind, Janelle will say, "Are you going to take out the trash today?" I'm like, yes, I'm getting there. Just just give me a minute to get there. Or the best is when I'm home and the boys are fighting. Believe it or not, our boys aren't perfect either. Many of you might think so because they're so cute and cuddly here, but at home they're like demons. Uh, and I just remember, I, I mean, there's often times where they fight. And so in my mind, 
I'm thinking to myself, now Brad, this is the point where your blood pressure goes up. You, you become very impatient. So in my mind, I'm trying to think about how do I be patient with the boys? How am I going to inquire about the situation? I've got to be a little inquisitive. I need to ask, what happened? Who did what? Miles, did you instigate? He's our instigator. Carter, did you just fly off the handle? What happened here? And so I want to be fair about the situation. And as all those things are working through the, my mind, Janelle says, are you going to do something about it? You know, she's been with them all week and all day, and she's dealt with this all week. She's like, it's your turn. But the point being this is that I'm, I'm a barrier often to what Janelle needs to get done. I just am. My, my gift of slowness is really not a gift. It's a hindrance. And so many of you realize this in your life. I mean, I think about preparing for a sermon. Some of you may not believe this, but it literally takes me 20 hours to prepare a sermon for a week. And for me, I can't just write five minutes here, write five minutes there. I need a literal eight hours to just sit down and just knock it out. Otherwise, I get sidetracked. I have ADD. Never been diagnosed, but I think I've just diagnosed myself. Um, but I, it takes me about 20 hours to prepare a sermon. And usually I'll get up at five, and I'll write before I go to work, which I guess is actually kind of work. But my kids get up right after, and they start asking me for milk and for cereal, and, Dad, will you turn on the TV? And so whenever I'm trying to write, there's always things that get in the way of me accomplishing one of the most important parts of the week. Y'all with me on this? Some of you face this, right? Uh, some of you have jobs that require you to pay attention to details. We have accountants that sit in here. And I, I can only imagine, I hate numbers, but I can only imagine your job of painstakingly working through numbers. But you, you know that you have this coworker who always talks on the phone really loud, or when you're in the middle of just getting to the, to the final end of what you need done, they come up and they start asking you all these questions. Does anybody deal with this at work, right? Okay, we've got one accountant in here. They, they always have a barrier to what Ron needs to get done throughout the week. Some of you have made it your goal this year that you would like to get in shape. Unfortunately, your appetite gets in the way of you getting in shape. Some of you have set goals for your life. But unfortunately, the practices and habits that have shaped your whole life get in the way of the goals that you want to achieve. I, I think about parents. Some of us want to become better parents. But the problem is, the thing that makes us parents is the thing that gets in the way, our children, right? <laughs> They're the things that anger us and impatient us. And, and, and so they're always a hindrance to us becoming better parents. For some of you who are getting a little bit older, maybe you've said, this year I'd like to get outside more and be a little more active, but... Man, the body, as it, as it ages and it aches, I get that it's a hindrance to what you need to get somebody's amen and back there. I hear it. It hurts to get outside. And so this is kind of the point that all of us, we have goals in our life, but we have hindrances that keep us from getting there. But, but the question I want to ask this morning is this, is what happens when we become those barriers? What happens when believers become barriers to the redemptive mission and rescue mission that God has for this world. That's a good thing to write down. If you're taking notes, for those of you taking notes, my studious ones this morning, that's a good question. What are the barriers? That, well, who are the believers that, that have barriers that, that get in the way of God's redemptive mission for the world? And so that's what Luke wants to talk to us about this morning. This is the question he's posing in the story that we'll see today. And so... For those of you who are new to church, you've never been to church, let me just quickly tell you about Luke. Luke was a doctor, a very smart man, who set off on a journey to write one of the most historically accurate accounts of Jesus' life. The interesting thing about Luke is he's an outsider. He's not a disciple. He's not a Jew. 
And so for him, this very, he, he has devoted his whole life to this very theme. That, that the work that Christ did on the cross is for all people. And that's what Luke wants to tell us. And so he writes his letter with a sense of urgency. And, and here's how I know this. You have to understand that, that the largest scroll found in history was about 35 feet long. And Acts is about 35 feet long. But, but what that tells us is that Luke is working with limited resources and, and, and room. and, and he, he, So he's got to be very selective about the content that makes the cut. But Luke does something interesting this morning that we'll see. Is he, he tells us the same story twice, back to back. And I find that interesting. because It's almost like John, who has given us two endings to his gospel. And the reason he tells us, John tells us, two endings to his gospel is because he realizes that for his believers, it's nearly impossible for us to fully grasp the resurrection. And so... Luke this morning will tell us two stories because he realizes the importance of what could have happened because people were not living life as it was divinely designed. You see, there was a moment in history, which we'll see today, where Christianity could have just become another sect of Judaism. And so Luke gives us the acts to tell us not only about the acts of the church, but about the call of all believers to to come into the act of grace that become the essence of the church. So before we dive into the actual story, we've got to go back to Easter. I have to take you back to Easter for a minute. Now, many of you will remember this. Some of you were asleep, and so this is a great time to catch up. And for those of you not here, great. You'll get the whole story. But, but if you remember back to Easter, we were introduced to a gentleman named Cornelius. Right? Y'all remember Cornelius? Here's what we know about Cornelius. He was a Roman soldier. He, he led a hundred men. He was very wealthy. He had a lot of money. He was extremely generous. Uh, we know because he was a Roman soldier, he probably wasn't a Jew. But he was described in Luke's account as a God-fearer. He was also devoted to prayer. And what I find interesting is that the Jews really liked him. I mean, you're talking about uh, an empire that is oppressing people. And the Jews actually liked Cornelius. They respected him very well. And so we, we're introduced to Cornelius, and we see he has this vision of this angel who then comes down to him and says, I need you to send three messengers to go meet this guy named Simon Peter. And quickly, Luke takes us from Cornelius' story over into Peter's story. Now, Peter was on a journey. He was on the road. It was about noon. And we know that at 12 o'clock, what do we do? We eat lunch, right? 12 o'clock. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, 12 o'clock is coming. Lunchtime's coming. But instead of going to eat lunch, Peter decided to go up to the roof and pray. And it was during this time that Peter has this amazing vision that I think changed the trajectory of Christianity. Many of you know the story. This, this massive sheet comes out of the, the heavens, comes out of the sky. And we know that it's not just a sheet. If you remember the Greek, athone literally means that it's, a, that it's an expensive piece of linen. And some, some would argue, some scholars argue that this sheet isn't something you lay on, but rather it's a tablecloth. And so think about this. This tablecloth is descended in front of Peter, and in it is all these animals, reptiles, birds, things that are clean and unclean. And if you're familiar with the Jewish law, you would know that, that anything that's clean touching the unclean is now made unclean because the clean is touching the unclean. 
y'all, y'all catch that? But in this sheet, there's not enough room. In fact, all the animals are touching. And so Peter knows for a fact that everything that's standing before him in this sheet is unclean. And he can't eat of it. But it's interesting that God meets him in this moment and says, Peter, I'm about to give you a vision. I'm about to give you a, a view of what could be in life. So I want you to get up. And when we hear that language of get up, we know in the story throughout the Gospels that this is a resurrection moment. This is a new life moment. And he says, Peter, I want you to get up. I want you to eat these animals. And Peter looks at him and says, um, you know, Lord, I'm well versed in the law and I know that if I eat this, I will be unclean. I think I'll pass on your, your, your table that you've prepared for us. And so God says to him again, get up and eat this. And so three times we see this bantering. Now I want you to remember this word three, or this number three. I want you to remember this three times. We're going to get to that in a minute. But Peter keeps telling God, I'm not going to eat this unclean mess that you've provided. And God says to him, how dare you call something unclean that I have made clean. And so the sheets lifted to heaven. And the three messengers that Cornelius had sent were sitting at Peter's door that day waiting for him. And so he goes with these messengers to Cornelius' house where friends and family are gathered. And Peter, even after this vision, says to, says to the people as he enters the house, you, you know that I'm not supposed to be with you folks. You're kind of unclean. You're Gentiles. We don't, we don't associate with you uncircumcised. No, no. But then he goes in anyway, and he begins to talk about the things that he witnessed, the things he saw about Jesus. And he begins to tell them the gospel message. He begins to talk about salvation. And, and the text tells us that the Spirit comes upon all these people, just like in the beginning of Acts. And these people were saved. And they were baptized. And this is an awesome, awesome story. So you can imagine that Peter is, is so excited that he realized that the resurrection means, as we said on Easter, resurrection means that everyone is invited to dine at the king's table grace. And so he wants to go back and he wants to tell the disciples back in Jerusalem the things that he heard, he witnessed, and he saw with Cornelius. And that's where we pick up this story in Acts 11. Oh, this is, this is good. So if you would, turn your Bibles to Acts 11 with me. If you don't have Bibles, I think it's up on the screen. Or you can pull out your smartphone and, and, and follow along there. I'm sorry if I'm talking too fast. I'm just excited. It says, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had received the word of God. We're excited about this, right? So when Peter came to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and you ate with them? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying in a trance I saw a vision I saw something like a large sheet, a tablecloth being let down from the heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill it, and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The, spoke, the, the voice spoke from heaven a second time. He says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened Three times. Circle that word three in your Bible. And then it was pulled away to heaven. 
Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. Now listen to this. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the, the man's house. Now, this is important, because six brothers plus Peter meant there were seven. And you have to understand, this is to substantiate truth in a court of law, you needed seven people. And so P- Luke is telling us something important here, that, that we're about to substantiate truth, something that just happened, that a vision that Peter was given is true, and it's from God. And so he told us how he had been see, seen an angel appear to his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. I love this. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them. As he had come on us at the beginning. You remember back at the church when the Spirit came upon us? Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, now listen to this, my favorite line. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance, which leads to life. You have to understand what's, what's just happened. The severity of what Peter has done. It's like, it's like Bears fans. How many Bears fans do we have out here? Okay, one. Okay, a few. Uh... It's like a Bears fan going up to Green Bay, walking into a Green Bay Packers fan home, eating Green Bay Packer fan food, and watching the Super Bowl and rooting for the Green Bay Packers in the Super Bowl. Yeah, see, I'm getting a lot of booze. That's, that's, the, that's the severity of the situation that's just happened. But, but I want you to hear this this morning. Luke tells us, something interesting in the story. There's this repetition of three. Three is important to us as believers because when I, I mention the number three, we often think of the resurrection of Christ. That after three three days, Christ defeated death. And so when we hear the number three with, with Luke's, Luke's gospel, we have to note that, that in these moments of three, these are resurrection moments. But what Luke wants to tell us in the story this morning is this, is that Peter, Peter has a problem with the number three. That throughout his life, he has been unable to recognize resurrection moments because he has denied something about Jesus or God. So Luke wants to take us back to when, when, when Peter denied Jesus three times in the courtyard outside the high priest right before Jesus was crucified. And then this morning, he takes us back to the story where where three times Peter says, I will not eat the unclean. So, So hear this this morning. The problem for Peter is not his devotion to Jesus. The problem for Peter is his purity. It's his devotion to his purity. And so I think what Luke wants us to understand this morning is that often in life, a a stringent devotion to purity becomes a barrier to the mission that God has for his people. 
you have to understand that this was the problem for the church of Ephesus. Many of you love Revelation. Let me just say that, that there have been many terrible books written about Revelation that, that really give us poor insight to what the book is about. And when, when the Revelator writes to the church of Ephesus, this is the exact same problem. He starts off by praising them and saying, you have endured. Listen, there are, there are false teachers. There are pagan practices. You have the allure of the Roman Empire. And he says, you have been faithful to me. And, and the reason they had been faithful is because they had developed a set of practices in life that kept, that kept the lies out. They were able to discern the truth from the lie because of these practices, this orthodoxy, which means right practices. The problem, though, when you begin to look at the church of Ephesus, as the revelator writes, he says, the one thing I have against you is that you have lost your first love. And so there are a lot of scholars who, who, who would like to argue that, that there is a connection. There's, a, there's this great, not a good connection, but a connection between people who, who really have a devotion to purity, who then miss out on what God has for his people. I think that's what Luke wants to tell us this morning. And, and so I'm probably going to say some things that perhaps you don't like, but hey, it's been good knowing you. The Ephesians, the Ephesians, their zeal for boundary watching. For boundary watching of the community also became the cause and loss of their compassion. And I have to be honest with you, the church, this morning, I, I think I am the uncircumcised. Or excuse me, I'm the circumcised in this morning. You are the circumcised person in this story this morning. We, as a church, have become the circumcised believers who are standing over Peter looking at this opportunity for resurrection. We are looking over people who are living life as it was divinely designed to say, you are not making the cut. And I have to be honest, I'm convinced that in the church of the Nazarene, that our misguided understanding of holiness has become a hindrance. We have this holiness message, this orthodoxy of sanctification. And I think that over time, it's been misguided so much so that we, we, we have come to the point where we have devoted ourselves to purity. Meanwhile, completely neglecting the people that God calls us to. Also neglecting the very people that this church was designed to reach. Holiness, I think, in many ways, over the years has become a barrier. Holiness is about love. It's not about, it's not about your purity. And that's why John, one of the readings for today in John's Gospel, he says, by your love, the way that you love one another, everyone, I love that word, everyone will know that you are my disciples by how you love. And so what I want you to hear this morning, it's loving people, not purity, that saves lives. Loving people, not purity, is what saves lives. So, Here's what I want you to know this morning. If you're taking notes, this is the question I want you to write down. Is our mission, is our mission about people we want to keep? Or is it about people we want to reach? As a church, I'm asking this question. 
Are we a people who are concerned about the people we want to keep or the people we are called to reach? Our answer to this question determines the future of God's church. Not just this church, but every church. And so this morning, the the point is this. Living life as it was divinely designed means we must persistently strive to reach the unreached. I've been reading through John's Gospel this week, and one thing that I've noticed is that John has, has, a, he has a love for all and everyone. In fact, we read this morning that God has a plan to make everything new. And the question that I asked of our folks on Wednesday was, do you believe that our God is capable? Notice the word capable. Do you believe our God is capable of making all things new? If so, why have we turned this into a country club where we come and we sit and we, we really have no mission? I, I've heard this same story twice over the last week, so I want to share it with you. How many of you are familiar with Tony Campolo? A few of you. Tony, Tony's pretty out there. Um, I'm not sure if half of his stories are true, but this one was a great one. So Tony talks about how he had a speaking engagement in Honolulu. And... Uh, Many of you know that if you live on the East Coast uh, and then you fly out to Honolulu uh, at 3 in the morning, that's about 9 in the morning on the East Coast. And so Tony tells about how he got up at 3 in the morning in Honolulu and he was just, he was famished. He was hungry. So he got up and in the midst of a busy city, he said he couldn't find anywhere to eat. And so he goes down the street to this place, it's called the Greasy Spoon or something like that, and he walks in and there are no tables, there's only a bar, and he sits down and this in his words, this, this big fat guy with his cigar comes out and says, what do you want? It's kind of the response I get here in Chicago every once in a while. What do you want? Uh, he just said, I'm hungry. I'd like to have a cup of coffee and maybe a donut. You know, and he's looking at the menu, and the menu's full of grease, you know, something like an extraterrestrial planet. Something would come out of it. He said, it's just nasty. So this guy pours him a cup of coffee and... He wipes his hand off of his apron, his greasy hands, and he goes and he picks up this donut and he gives it to Tony. And Tony's eating, eating this donut. And about that time, about 10 or 11 prostitutes walk into this bar. And they sit around Tony. Tony's sitting in the middle of them. I mean, he's like, whoa, this is, this is weird. And, and, and he's trying to find his way out of this bar because he's in a place where there's tons of prostitutes. And so they, they, they begin to have this conversation, these prostitutes. Some of it was kind of crude, probably talking about the night and how things went. But one of them says to the other, she said, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm turning 39. And the other lady said, okay, do you want me to sing happy birthday? Do you want me to throw you a party? Like, what do you want me to do for you? And she's like, listen, you don't, you don't have to give me a hard time. I, I just want you to let you know it's my birthday tomorrow. My whole life, I've never had a birthday party. And so Tony talks about, in that moment, he said, that's it. That's it. I'm going to throw this lady a birthday party. And so they leave, and, and, and the fat guy behind the counter comes around, and he says, hey, uh, Hank, what was the name of the lady that just left? And he says, oh, that's Agnes. He says, well, tomorrow's her birthday. What do you think about us throwing her a birthday party? He says, well, I think it's a great idea. So Hank calls his wife, Jane, from behind the back and says, hey, this guy right here wants to throw Agnes a birthday party. And she came out and she grabbed Tony's hand and she says, 
you have no idea. Agnes is one of the sweetest people you ever meet. A lot of people don't know that because of what she does, but, but she's one of the sweetest people you ever meet. He said, so I can, can I throw a party? You know, I'll decorate, I'll do everything. She said, sure. He said, I'll even bring the cake. And Hank, the big fat guy with the cigar, said, I'm making the cake. So Tony, the next morning, comes in about 2.30 in the morning, and he begins to decorate the place, that, you know, and the cake is ready. And he said, Jane must have told everybody about the party, because at 3.15, it was wall-to-wall with prostitutes. And Tony says, it was crazy, a sociologist in the middle of all these prostitutes. And at 3.30, Agnes walks in the door. And everybody else, happy birthday. And she, she almost buckles and almost falls over because she's never had this experience. And Tony talks about how they, they lifted her up and they sat her in the chair and Hank brings out the cake and she's just sitting there almost in tears. Hank says, well, blow out the candles, Agnes. Blow out the candles. And, and she doesn't blow out the candles. She says, well, if you don't do it, I'll do it. And so he blows out the candles. Then he gives her a knife and says, Agnes, cut the cake, cut the cake. And she looked at Tony and she said, Mister, do you think it'd be okay if I just took this cake? I took it home and I, and I showed my mother. And Tony was like, you, you mean at this moment? Like right now you want to get up and, and take this cake over? She said, I only live two doors down, I'll be right back. So he said she, she picks up this cake, almost as if it was like a newborn baby. And walks out the door. And he said it was one of the most awkward moments ever. Here he is with wall-to-wall prostitutes. And he said it was silent. Dead silent. Nobody said a word. It was an awkward silence. And he said, after a while, I said what only a good sociologist would say. He said, what do you say we pray? What do you say we pray? And at that moment, at 3.30 in the morning, with a bunch of prostitutes at a greasy spoon bar, he prayed for Agnes' life. He prayed for redemption. He prayed for renewal. He prayed for the mess that, the men that had abused her over her life. He prayed for her salvation. And he said, when I got done with the prayer, Hank was right in my face. And he says, Campolo, you're not a sociologist. You're a preacher. And then Hank says, what church do you belong to? And Tony said, you know those moments where you get the best line in your mind? He said, I looked at Hank and he said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Hank said, no, you don't. (laughs) No, you don't. He said, because if you preach at that kind of church, I'd want to be part of that kind of church. i got to be honest, folks, this morning, when I think about who we are as God's people, I want to be that church. Not just prostitutes, but, but the, the, the broken of the broken. I love that you all are so faithful to this church, but I have to be honest, for those of you who have been here for years, our mission is about people we want to reach, not about people we want to keep. And so the challenge for you this day is this. I'm almost done. I've got one minute. The challenge that I'm giving you today will will set the trajectory once again for this church.
I said to our teenagers, one of my first messages to our teenagers was this, be the one to win the one. And I told them this, that there was somebody in your life that has invested in you so much so that you experienced God's love and you became a Christian out of it. And so I said, why don't you be the one to win the one? Why don't you be the one to now invest your life in somebody else who doesn't know Christ and help them to to receive the gospel? And so if we're going to be a people who are on mission to reach people, I need you to do your job as much as I do. We are in this together. Do you realize that that if, if each of you just invited one person, we wouldn't have room for all the people. We'd have to go to two services. Have you thought about that? When we begin to renovate this foyer, we're going to write names of people that we want to see come to Christ on the floor, and then we'll pile over it. But we're going to continue to pray for those people. Here's what I want you to do over this next month and over the next year. Pray that God brings somebody in your life who needs Christ. And then I, I want you begin to invest in them to the point where, where they, they see the need to belong to a community that throws birthday parties for prostitutes and that we are welcoming of everyone. Can y'all, can y'all join me in this journey? Can you join me in this? It's not about growth. It's about reaching the lost. Let me, let me pray for you. But after I'm done praying this morning, I'm going to have you come up some of you need anointing for, for some of the sicknesses that you have or that you've been diagnosed with recently. But others of you need empowerment. I realize the fear that is given to someone when they now have to give the message to Christ. That's why we've had our storyboard up here, that we have to learn to tell our story before we can give it. But I realize that that's an intimidating task for some of you. But let me just tell you, just build a relationship first and then go from there. But some of you need empowerment to do that. And so we don't put oil on people's head as some creepy thing or like we're not going to be dealing with snakes or anything soon. This is just a way as a symbol of saying that that God is empowering you to now go out and carry out his mission and that you will no longer be a hindrance and barrier to what God wants to do in this world. Let me pray for you. Lord, we give thanks this morning for your love and your grace. We pray that you give us a passion for the purposes that you have for this world. Lord, daily we, we see people in front of us who, who don't know you. Lord, will you give us eyes to see them? Will you give us a heart of compassion for them? Regardless of the past and the situation that they find themselves in. Lord, we, we want to recognize today that you have called us to love because you are a God of love. Would you embolden us? Would you strengthen us? Would you give us the mission to reach the unreachable? Will you empower us this day? In Jesus' name.